does start inside the mind. You can never go beyond your own self-image. That if you don't have the confidence, the self-respect, self-esteem to support future development, future titles and growth, you're not going to make it. Can't see it, can't believe it, can't achieve it. Do you want to be a leader? In a constantly changing world, our emerging leaders look different, come from various backgrounds and from all different age groups. Leadership is changing and it's hard to keep up. But the good news, you can be a leader too. You can be an emerging leader. Welcome to the Limitless Leadership Lounge, a tri-generational conversation for emerging leaders. Come spend some time with us to discuss leadership from three angles. The coach, Jim Johnson. The professor, Dr. Anuma Kareem. The host, John Gehring, a monthly guest. And you. Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Spreaker. So come on in and make yourself comfortable. Are you looking to take the next step in your personal development or your team's development? Well, then Coach Jim Johnson's speaking may be exactly what you need. Hiring him to speak to your team or at your corporate events will inform, inspire, and direct you to take the next steps to become a more effective individual or organization. CoachJimJohnson.com is where you can learn more about Coach's speaking. It's CoachJimJohnson.com to get in touch. Definitely worth your time to at least learn more about what Coach has to offer and potentially hire him to talk to your next event or to your team. When I say that, I am very, very excited for this conversation today. And Coach Dr. Kareem, we are, we've all been looking forward to our talk here with Dr. Alan Zimmerman. Um, welcome on into the Limitless Leadership Lounge. We are a tri-generational conversation for you, the emerging leader. Thanks for having us on today, whatever you're doing, whether you're driving to work, maybe getting some things done around the house. We are honored that you've chosen our podcast to hopefully grow your leadership skills and personal development this week. Uh, Coach, you brought along here Dr. Zimmerman, and we are very grateful for uh, Dr. Zimmerman's time. We're looking forward to talking more about positive communication, his speaking, his writing and coaching, and so much more. So Coach, why don't you take away and introduce our guest? Yes, I'm very excited. Uh, Dr. Zimmerman and I actually have met at the National Speakers Association, where he's been a member a lot longer than I have, but uh, uh, I'm really excited. Dr. Zimmerman has quite a resume. He's been in the business of helping people with leadership, communication, uh, emotional intelligence, you name it, for five decades, which is unfathomable. Uh, And he's still going strong, which is really amazing. He's done over 1,100 articles, which I can't even fathom. (laughs) I'm trying to get through a second book. Uh, uh, And he's done five books. Uh, He is in the National Speakers Hall of Fame, which is quite an honor that there's very few. And he just has multiple skills, and we're just so excited to have him today. So, Dr. Zimmerman, welcome to the Limitless Leadership Lounge. Thank you so much. I'm blessed to be here and looking forward to the conversation. You know, our focus is to help young and emerging leaders. And I'm going to start right out with, because I, I see this a lot, where someone is in, involved with their individual contributor, uh, maybe a salesperson, in, in our case, uh, in the coaching for basketball, you know, a younger level coach. Now they get thrust into the leadership position, being the head coach or being the sales manager, which sometimes becomes the sales mangler. What what do you what would you recommend to that person making their first transition to a leadership position where they're probably running some type of team um, from a mindset and a skill set? 
Good question. It does start inside the mind that I'm telling people constantly, you can never go beyond your own self-image. That if you don't have the confidence, the self-respect, self-esteem to support future development, future titles and growth, you're not going to make it. Can't see it, can't believe it, can't achieve it. And so uh, people get thrust into positions because they might have had a great skill set at something else, a technical skill. All of a sudden, they're a so-called leader of people, and they've never had any training whatsoever in that. And so they're probably struggling with a lack of skill and a lack of confidence. So it's got to start in the mind. I tell people an old slogan, the basis of all psychology is you perform exactly as you see yourself. If you see yourself as mediocre, that's how you're going to be. You see yourself as moving up, having skill, ability, uh, you're going to behave that way. And it's so interesting. Yesterday, uh, Think and Grow Rich, that's one of my favorite books by Napoleon Hill. And YouTube has like a video film on that. And it was showing like there were some people who were, uh, there was a drought in California. And this uh, this group of young people, they wanted to start a mind test on Think Rain. So everybody should think rain and the drought will be over and it will rain. And they need a corporation and all those things signed and everything. And while they were driving to get the uh, corporation signed in, in California, in Sacramento, they were holding think rain, think rain. And everybody who's the, who they're passing, passing by, they're saying that, yes, we are thinking rain. And interestingly, there was like a drop of like months of drought. There were drop of rains <laughs> uh, falling over the car. So who knows, the power of uh, collective thinking can make those kind of changes even. Uh, so thinking positively, we say that we need to think positively, but many of uh, many whom I knew, know, they often make fun of me, like, well, how come you're always so positive? This is a world full of stress. Uh, we are living on the stress hormones. So how could we even spend, think about learning and growing? So what, what would you advise then? Well, first of all, those who are cynical about the positive mindset are just plain wrong. The research will not back them up. Right. Uh, for years on TV, the program called Saturday Night Live, they had a little skit where they would make fun of somebody saying, I'm wonderful, I'm talented, right. people love me. And they'd make fun of so-called affirmations or positive self-talk. Mm-hmm. But they're dead wrong. You will not find one Olympic gold medalist who doesn't swear by this technique of putting the right thoughts in to get the right results out. I've been teaching for years behavioral kinesiology, kind of along the lines of what you were just talking about, doctor. And if you know the field of kinesiology, and the coach probably does quite well, mm-hmm. coming from athletics, that if you were to hold your arms out and just have someone test your arms, you would right. test at a certain level of strength. Tell yourself for a few seconds, I'm a loser. I can't do it. I'm no good. And you won't be able to hold the arms up. Tell yourself something positive and they'll become extremely strong. Your actions, your behaviors, follow your thoughts. And it becomes a lie detector also. <laughs> like what lies we are feeling Absolutely. ourselves. So I tried that. Like I saw that video and then I tried it and many of my relatives and, and at a point like, no, we are not going to do that because it is becoming a lie detector because when they're lying, they, their resistance just fall. Absolutely. They don't believe in themselves. So it's hilarious to see how powerful our mind is uh, and it how it can control our action. So going back to your question about mindset, coach, 
and young entrepreneurs, if they're in a position that might be higher than they perceive themselves capable of handling, they've been promoted to something and they have some internal doubts, which are natural when you're in a new position. Do some work on your mind. Uh, it could be as simple as affirmation. You're just talking about that. I believe in myself. I'm capable. I'm learning. I'm getting better. I'm getting stronger. I can do this. I can handle that. Now, you may not be there yet, but repetition of belief becomes real belief, which turns into real behavior. Right. So that's one thing. Another thing I tell people is survey your strengths. In other words, if you were to go to a job interview and they asked you what you're good at, and you didn't have a clear answer, don't expect to get hired. That's not their problem to figure out. It's your answer to provide. And so I will tell people to write down 50, 100, 200 things they're good at. Nobody ever sees the list. And when you're doubting yourself, putting yourself down, take out the list, read it again. I did that for close to 20 years. At least I carried my pocket, my briefcase, wherever. I'm adding to all the things I was good at. Because there are days we can't think of anything. We have down days. Remind yourself, I'm not a bad person. I'm not skilled talent. I'm just not thinking correctly right now. Dr. Zimmerman, I think this also relates to goal setting too. And you talk about the power of your mind and how it starts in your mind. Now, there may be young entrepreneurs listening who have lofty goals, but they're afraid to set those goals. They know they need to set goals, but they lower them. Lower your goals so that you know you can achieve them and then feel good about yourself. But the human mind, as you say, is so powerful how far should we stretch ourselves knowing that setting these goals and having that positive attitude that we can actually reach them will push us further toward them? Great question. I just finished a five-week course on goal setting. You want your goals big enough to excite you, mm. that I have some passion, some excitement. I want to do this. I want to achieve that. But they're not so big that all of your internal guts and mind is revolting, saying, no way, that's impossible, can't happen. So big enough to excite you, but not so big that your rationality is overruling the whole thing and stops you in your tracks. Too small of a goal, no excitement, no passion, no motivation. Big enough to excite you, but not so big that your mind is just turning against it. Dr. Zimmerman, you mentioned a little bit about interview. And I'm curious, could you share... Uh, one question, a young leader uh, interviewing for his or her first leadership position, could you share a question that you would ask that leader, just some suggestions on how they should answer it? And then my second question is, when you're trying to look for someone to be a leader, what would be a question that you would ask that person? One technique that's unusual, but I think it works beautifully is if you see a position that you really want, truly believe you can handle that well, I think you can make a legitimate argument to tell that potential employer, I believe so much in myself, in this job, my potential, my fit, I'll make you a deal. I'll come to work for you for 30 days, free of charge. If the end of the 30 days, you agree with me that I really am a great fit, you pay me. If not, you owe me nothing. Put yourself on the lines. Instead of them taking all the risk, you take some of the risk also. Yeah. And, and when we're talking about uh, risk taking, how important it, it is, uh, is it for leaders to have that uh, attitude or courage or confidence uh, to be able to take risk? Uh, especially nowadays, so many things are going wrong, so many things. Uh, so many people are afraid to take risks. 
but you have worked with so many CEOs, uh, head of so many different organizations. How do you think that like they measured risk? Like in what level do we need to focus on the risk taking? Well, first of all, you've, you've got a choice. It's risk or regret. If you don't risk anything, you regret everything. The second thing I tell people is everything you want more of. You want a healthier body. You want a more educated mind. You want a better relationship with your spouse. You want to make more money. Whatever you want more of always requires leaving your comfort zone. It always means leaving the comfort zone and taking a risk. Can't get the same we can't get new results by doing the same thing. We all know that very well. Got to be convinced of that. If you're going to be stuck in the comfort zone, you're not going to advance. You don't take a risk just for the sake of taking a risk. Some people take stupid risks mm-hmm. that have no chance of surviving. And so you got to do some question asking. Uh, first of all, do I really, really want this? Will it work based on my knowledge, my skill, my experience, interviewing other people? Will it work? You can get a lot of information. Another question, is it worth it? You could achieve a goal, take the risk, and the process lose your health or or relationships. It may not be worth it. None of your risk is. Does it make sense? Do I want it? Will will it work? You know, those kinds of questions need to be thought of instead of just taking the risk. And uh, and often the confidence as a leaders, uh, leaders, we have to build a confidence. So uh, from your observation, what are some elements that the leader has to focus on to develop within themselves, to have that confidence to influence others? Yeah, you as the leader are setting the standard. You'll never get your team more excited than you are, more enthusiastic than you are, more confident than you are. You set the bar. They're watching you all the time. I look at employees as professional boss watchers. They watch everything you do, everything you say, every nonverbal cue. They're always picking that stuff up. And so, first of all, leader needs to be very conscious of the message he or she is sending out, verbally, nonverbally, what's being said, what's not being said. I think it's important that a, a executive, a leader, have a coach or some people they can get some honest feedback from. Because if you are reporting to a leader, typically it's not politically safe to tell the leader, you really screwed up on that. (laughs) You put us off in the wrong direction. But that leader should not be left in the dark. He, she, whomever needs to have a coach or some other people that can tell them the truth. Here's what people are really thinking, what they're feeling, what they're afraid of, what they're wondering about. Here's what came across. I'm not sure you're aware of the message you're sending. A lot of leaders live in the dark, and they don't get the light turned on until they're in a crisis situation. Mm-hmm. All unnecessary. So this, these are like such an important and crucial element uh, because there are so many young leaders who are getting into the field of leading a team, leading um, and in leading responsibilities, but they are often uh, scared to make decisions. So like, and, uh, and that confidence, you see that lack of that confidence and often imposter syndrome. Those are the things also sometimes affect them in a way. Yeah, it's very true. I work with CEOs of some uh, Fortune 100 companies, 500 companies, profit, nonprofit, government, education, business, some big names running huge organizations. Almost all of them lack confidence at some degree because they're often in territory they've never been before. So there's a lack of confidence. There's also a certain sense of loneliness. Who can I talk to? They can't talk to anybody else on the team and share their deepest fears. That would scare half the team. (laughs) 
they sometimes can't talk to their spouse or family because they may not want to, they don't understand or they don't care and may not be able to talk to others in the same position in the same field because they're competitors. That's why I'm advocating have some outside feedback sources, a coach, things like that. Be very careful of the message you're sending. If you're lacking the confidence, you said the imposter's phenomenon, it sounds corny, but it's true. Fake it till you make it. Obviously, as a leader, you need confidence. But how do you build confidence with your team members? I think you build confidence by building trust. That you say what you mean. You mean what you say. You follow through. I think we're dealing with a couple of generations say, yeah, yeah, that sounds good, which sort of implies a commitment to do something unless something better comes along. (laughs) I think we need an old-fashioned definition of trust, which means I give you my word. I'm following through unless all hell breaks loose. I put my word on the line. I say it. I mean it. I follow through. One piece of research that you might be aware of called from the Center for Creative Leadership out in North Carolina. They do great research on leaders. One of the classic studies that I quote all the time, they took 21 leaders who had climbed the corporate ladder almost the top of becoming the CEO. Then they were forced out. They were fired. Compared those, they told them derailed executives taken off the career path. They said, how come they didn't make it? They were great, talented people, but they were kicked out. Compared the 20 arrivers, they had all the way to the top, became the CEO, the president. Said, what's the difference? They only found one characteristic that they found different in the two groups. And that was the derailed execs, those who were fired, did not keep their promises. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. The arrivers are the kinds of folks who said, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do when, I'm, when I say I'm going to do it. I say it. I mean it. I'm reliable. I'm dependable. I think it's the first thing in creating some relationships with your team. If they can't trust you, you're not going very far. Again, one of my slogans, trust is a must or the relationship will bust. And Dr. Zimmerman, um, you talk about all of the CEOs that you work with. Are there a couple of examples that you have of, you know, obviously no need to mention them by name, but but just a case study of a CEO who was nervous to take that a big leap, a big risk, and through your encouragement or just the time that it took for them to gather the courage to take that leap, you got to see some results that surprised even you? Yeah. Last year, I picked up a couple of clients, the founder and CEO of a huge healthcare company, and his vice president of operations. They were in such horrendous conflict. They were slamming doors in each other's faces. They were not coming to work because they hated coming to work so badly to be around the presence of the other person. Wow. Wow. They came to me and said, we need help. We don't know (laughs) where to go. And it's a well-respected name, organization. The public doesn't know about the -the behind-the-scenes drama. And uh, we spent six months together meeting every week on basically conflict skills, people skills. You know, the CEO founder was a visionary. He understood sales. He knew the numbers, things like that. Operations knew policies and procedures. But they lived in different worlds, but they needed each other to survive and keep growing. They didn't have simple things like rules of engagement. How do you talk to somebody professionally? When do you not talk? What's acceptable? How do you show respect? How do you understand their work language and speak their language? Uh, 
And I have to admit, I was frightened. <laughs> they hated each other so much. I thought, I'm not sure I can help them. After six months, it's like they're on a honeymoon. They're so happy. They brought me in to speak to the entire organization after that several months later. And it's like, we have never been more productive, made more money, had better relationships amongst the people. And these weren't bad people. They were highly talented people who just lacked communication skills. Marshall Goldsmith, I'm sure a friend of Coach Johnson's also, you know, has a great uh, book. What brought you here won't get you there. And I find that with a lot of CEOs. What got them to their position will not take them to the next step. They're often missing that piece. That's where the four of us come into play. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we're often providing those kinds of things that they're missing. Highly good, talented people who have gone as far as they can without some outside help. I know you have a lot of expertise in communication. And you said that it sounds like with those two executives, communication was such a difficult situation for them. Can you share um, a couple of thought, thoughts of, of what you did to help them become more effective communicators with each other? Uh, one is called rules of engagement. Okay. That they tended just to speak off the cuff, whatever they felt blurted out. Well, that's the way babies talk, not the way adult <laughs> professionals talk. <laughs> and so one assignment was to have them sit down and work out all the things that were acceptable ways of talking to each other which might be uh, as simple as if I'm going to say some nasty things I'll regret, I'll excuse myself and leave the room. Because once you've said it, it cannot be taken back. That um, if you're too emotional to talk and say things professionally, reschedule. One issue at a time, one week at a time. If you got 25 issues and try to deal with 25 issues, you're going to be overwhelmed emotionally and it'll turn into a, fa a battle. One issue at a time. Also, scheduling some time to not just be talking when you're in crisis. Let's have some positive communication experiences, which might be a little bit social in terms of uh, family, a conversation over a cup of coffee. So it's not... So not every encounter is associated with drama, conflict, and pain. Yeah, and um, I think that social connection, understanding each other's emotion, yes. empathy, those things really matter when you want to work together uh, as a team. So uh, for my team, I, uh, I give them uh, tickets to go and watch a movie together and then yep. hang out and eat outside. So when you know each other as a person, not just colleague, then your attitude, then uh, open-mindedness, everything seems to uh, like start to develop better communication skill, uh, help them to develop. Another one, exactly. Another thing was teaching them how to listen. Such yeah. a simple concept. But they would be arguing. And of course, in arguments, it's like you see on those TV talk shows, interrupting each other, talking over each other, things like that. So we would have times where I would be with them in person or on a Zoom call. And I would be really moderating everything. Mm. Be quiet. That person is not finished speaking. Mm. Now it's your turn. I would teach them the one, two, three gulp rule. Mm. And that is people talk too much too fast. So let's say we're having a conversation and one person makes a comment. The other one jumps right in. No time to think about it, to process it. They just emote. Mm. 
So the CEO makes a comment. The vice president is jumping right back in like this. Huh, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Taking one or two or three gulps. Because they have a slow amount of pausing, people get real nervous. What's this all mean? <laughs> it looks corny and mechanical, but I've taught this to so many CEOs. Carry a bottle of water with you, carry a cup of coffee, something, so it looks legitimate. It slows the conversation down. And does that ever take the drama out of the conversation? So bring something along and have your one, two, three gulps in between your comments. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> Interesting. It brings down the emotional temperature real quickly. Yeah, I yeah. think I will use this. Uh, <laughs> use this in the meetings, especially when there are heated conversations going on. <laughs> That's it, man. Yeah. yeah. It yeah John, you, you talk about um, getting out of your comfort zone, too, and that that's certainly one way to do it. So many people are uncomfortable with silence, yet oh, yes. gives gives you time to think, gives you time to Put emotions aside, right? Exactly right. Plus, it's respectful. Right. I'm saying in a sense that your comments were worth my time to give a little thought and consideration rather than just jumping in with my two cents. Yeah. And people are making assumptions also when they come into the meetings. Uh, like, I, I hate this person. And so no mm. matter what he or she says, I'm just not going to agree. So sometimes like overarching emotion and the feelings even take away our sense, our common sense that I have to listen actively and be rational and logical. So I've seen so much like this is the enemy party and no matter what they say, I'm not going to listen to them. Excellent point, doctor, that people don't realize <clears throat> that your subconscious thoughts about somebody else always get projected. Hmm. And some of the time they pick that up and it puts a block or a barrier between you and the other person. Right. Um, a demonstration I'll often do with my audiences. I'll have somebody sent out of the room. Hmm. I'll tell the rest of the group. When I bring them back in. I'm going to ask them some questions into this muscle test in kinesiology. Mm -hmm. I'll just ask them where they're from. And they might say Rochester, New York. But the audience has been thinking, you're a jerk, you're a jerk, you're a jerk. Hmm. So I ask, where are you from? Their arms come right down. I might ask, and what is your job title? I coach the audience to think they're great, they're great, they're great, and their arms come right back up. Mm. Well, the audiences don't forget that. But i give you a real practical application. My wife runs a healthcare company, 400 employees. Mm. She's sitting in a meeting with all these doctors. She's a nurse, head nurse of a large department. And she went in there thinking this one physician was a real jerk. And it was his behavior. She hadn't said a word of the meeting. In the middle of the meeting, he turns around and says, what are you thinking? You are hostile to me. Mm. People pick that up. Mm. And so I will tell people when you're going into a meeting, put on a different mindset. You may dislike the person. You may disrespect the person. You may not agree with the person. For the moment, it is irrelevant. Mm. For the moment, come in there with an attitude of, what can I learn from this person? Right, right. And if they're a disagreeable person, there's some pain in their life. It's not all about you. Mm -hmm. They're dealing with a bunch of garbage and they're simply dumping it in your backyard. True. Mm -hmm.
True. Hey, Doctor Zimmerman, we t- uh, we always talk about you know as a leader, the first person you got to lead is yourself. Yes. In doing that, uh, what are some of the habits that you do to help lead yourself that maybe someone can uh, learn from you as far as you know life balance, you know, which is always a challenge, uh, but things that you found that have helped you with your energy, uh, your life leading yourself, so you could lead others more effectively. Well, I start my morning with some spiritual reading, some meditation, some prayer. I want to feed my spiritual aspect first. I commit myself to going to at least 40 hours of training per year. That I don't want to be the person on stage all the time or on the Zoom camera teaching. I want to be a learner in the audience. Mm. Third thing, I've got six people that I talk to once a month for an hour phone call. These are highly respected professionals where we learn from each other, where there's no pretense, no trying to impress one another. Here's where I failed. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's what I succeeded at. Here's where I'm celebrating, asking questions, getting feedback. I find that critical. And probably one of the most important things I've done in my career is belong to a mastermind group. I've had two of them. Now, uh, One's been going on for over 20 years now. It's 11 of us who are all professional speakers, authors, coaches. We're at a certain level in our career. We make significant amounts of money, have been significantly successful in our careers. So we don't have big gaps in knowledge and experience. We can coach each other. <clears throat> we have a rule, absolute commitment. Uh, we make the meetings a year in advance. <clears throat> You cannot miss a meeting except for family emergency. If you take a booking or another engagement, you're kicked out of the group. We make it that important. I was in another mastermind group where people came and left, depending on whether or not they could get a booking somewhere. Well, that group was not nearly as successful. We demand commitment. And a comment I can easily say. I could take five minutes and probably share with any audience five ideas I picked up from those groups that made me $5 million. Be around some really smart people. Mastermind group. You and I are part of NSA. Love it. but I've learned a lot there. But I learned much more in a mastermind group where there's nobody on stage trying to pretend anything. It's all the good and bad, <laughs> bright and ugly, all in front of us. And everybody gets their questions answered. It's like, why have to learn everything from scratch when you have other entrepreneurs who have been so successful and have been down that road at some point in their life? So that's part of what I just learned. It's mastermind groups, the spiritual stuff, 40 hours of training a year, and my monthly phone calls with individuals. We're talking again with Dr. Alan Zimmerman, Hall of Fame speaker, a writer, and an executive coach. And Dr. I want to talk about two words today, and these words are both on your website, drzimmerman.com, and it fascinates me what you've written here um, about getting positive communication skills in a world that is more connected yet less engaged than ever. Now, I'm really curious about zeroing on and those two words, connected and engaged. I would think the word connected and engaged would be positively correlated. The more connected you are, the more engaged you are. What is it in our world today that is causing us to be so connected yet not engaged? 
Well, we're connected 24-7 through all the social media apps. It's almost impossible to get away from those things. And most of us are following two, three, four, five different platforms, some more rigorously than others. So we're connected. Uh, you look at the very young generation, <clears throat> Gen Z and others, and they talk about the number of followers they have, as although it's almost a self-esteem building thing. <laughs> followers doesn't translate into to friends, and it doesn't translate into business relationships necessarily. So we're connected in so many ways. When I've worked with young people, obviously they're so connected that uh, it's not like when we were growing up, you could be bullied on the playground. Now you can be bullied 24-7, which is increasing suicide rates off the charts. So we're highly connected, but engaged in terms of people saying, I have really deep friends at work. Just 10 years ago in the research, one of every two people said one of their strongest confidants, biggest sources of support, wisdom, help in life was a person at work. Now that figure is down to like 5%. Wow. The Zoom has made that more difficult to have the closeness. We paid a big price. Uh, I'm old fashioned, but I don't think anything really can 100% replace human interaction face to face. We've got great substitutes. I'm all for Zoom calls and everything else. But if we're going to sacrifice human interaction, one of the prices you pay is team culture. Mm -hmm. I'm working with two government agencies right now who are really wanting to build their culture, yet they've not been face-to-face -face for over two years. Oh, wow. Wow. Culture is built with people interacting with each other, sometimes virtually, many times in person, but building the culture, that's where we're less engaged. Uh, that who has time to stop? On a Zoom call, you don't just pick up and say, let's have a three-minute uh, chat about something. It doesn't happen. There are scheduled meetings with um, certain amounts of times and certain topics. Uh, when you go to conventions of any professional group, the number one comment you'll hear people say is, well, the speakers are great. Regular sessions were great. You know, I learned the most in the hallways, talking to other people. Yeah. Always hear that, no matter what the association is. That's gone. Hmm. Yeah, and that emotion, again, that emotional connection. Yes. Uh, even when I entered the class to teach, uh, when we were going to school, we did not have smartphone. We would get into the class and chit-chat with each other and all those things. But now... All my students are in their phone. Nobody is like communicating with each other. They're in their own island. And when I'm talking with my uh, Gen Z uh, cousins, uh, cousins, they're always, they don't have any work friend. So they are all alone in their own island. Whereas when we were going to work uh, earlier days, we had friends, confidant and all those things. So I hear you like 5%, I think that's the correct <laughs> data. And we are becoming more island than more engaged people. So how could you think like accepting the technology? How do you think that we can break this barrier? What are the small stuff we can do? And as leaders, we can... How can we create that culture to motivate each other to work together? Well, one thing the leader has to do is indicate his or her vision as to how we're going to be working together in the future. Right. 
instead of letting it just evolve naturally or automatically, why not shape it? And that is saying, instead of just succumbing to the fact, well, it's, it's post-pandemic, the world's changed, we're never going back to the old way. And to some extent, that's true. But that doesn't mean we don't have power to shape the future, that we'll have perhaps more virtual work, but there's going to be times when we're going to be together. Right. And if you don't like that, there are other jobs you can pursue in other places, but we are going to have some times together. Mm. Some to meet together to brainstorm, some to solve a problem, some to socialize, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Elon Musk has been pushing that and getting a lot of pushback. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because it's certainly more convenient to stay at home and never see people. Again, you're sacrificing culture. Yeah. Right. Do you want culture or not? Yeah, and I think that is why the mental health crisis is in, is in yes. rise everywhere, all across the world. And uh, even in the meetings, we see now faculties and people are like, they're just uh, trying to avoid each other with their phone. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. You know, the Blue Zones project that's been going on the last right. several years, yeah. the oldest living people in the world, seven right. criteria. One is deep social connection. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think we can ignore that research and expect to have positive results. Mm. Yeah, because we feel that lightning when we talk uh, with each other, with John, uh, Coach, and we are in that physical space, we can feel that each other's energy. Uh, and I went to Greece and I saw like how older people, younger people, they're all like in a party mood all the time, connecting <laughs> with, with each other. And it's Monday, tomorrow it will be Monday working day. And it's 1 a.m. in the morning and still people are in those squares talking to each other and all those things. So it was interesting for me to observe like how connected people are. And that is why their health, their longevity, um, heart disease, all those things are not that much. You also mentioned stress in the world and work-life balance. Alan Luck's book on the healing power of helping others talks about this mm -hmm. called The Helper's High. Right. And it goes along with this connectedness you're asking about mm. or, and engaged. And what he found was those who went and volunteered to help other people mm. about two hours a week over a 10-week period reduced their stress dramatically, had benefits that lasted for months. Mm. But there were some criteria on just helping others wasn't enough to kill the stress mm. and lift their spirits. It didn't work, for example, to drop some clothing off a of goodwill because there's no human connection. You're just dropping something off. It doesn't work to give your kid an extra $100 because you have to do that. You're supposed to take care of your family. Mm. It was with strangers over a course of time making that human connection. Mm. That bonding was what brought about the mental health, the healing, the stress reduction. So true. Dr. Zimmerman, uh, we're coming... Uh, Close to the end, so I know we probably each have one more question for you. I'm going to have my question, but first, I, I really uh, want to share our appreciation for you coming on and sharing your insight and wisdom today. So thank you very much. My final question for you is, uh, you know, you talked about your own personal growth where you do at least a minimum of 40 hours. You, you're sharing with a young leader, is there... Uh, some programs or books that you would highly recommend that a young leaders uh, read or attend uh, to help them be more effective? I find that really good leaders are readers. And that's becoming less popular. Mm 
All of us in this call are authors. The biggest bargain in the world today is a book. It took someone 10, 20, 30 years to learn that. Took them another two years to write it and give it to you for 20 bucks. (laughs) It's an incredible bargain. So I would certainly suggest if you're not going to classes, read, but do both if possible. There's nothing a substitute against that human connection. Uh, there's no particular workshop I would recommend, but read and go to workshops. When I'm coaching young people or just getting into a job, I give them two, three tips of advice. I said, you want to, they're starting an entry-level position. Three things you can do. First thing is always show up early, not on time. Second thing, take every single class they offer you. Sometimes they have optional training. Most people are going to say, ah, not interested. Doesn't fit with me. They don't bother. That initiative will catch their attention. Take every class they possibly offer. And third, ask, what else can I do to be more effective and helpful around here? Hmm. And young people I've coached that have done that, I've seen them move from the bottom to much higher positions very quickly. They advance past all their other coworkers. Hmm. So doing things with intention, that, that is so important. Like, what is your intention? Why are you listening to this podcast? Or why are you in this class? So sometimes we do not evaluate our intentions uh, to get the maximum out of it. So my last question uh, to you, like from your personal angle, what uh, kind of scenarios or environment um, have you experienced that gave you the maximum growth uh, to become a leader? Like what kind of scenarios do you think you learn most uh, from uh, to grow as a leader? If I've been fortunate enough to find people who believed in me before I believed in myself. Mm. They saw talent, they saw ability that I wasn't quite sure I had. Right. The coaching that I'm doing right now, which is very effective and to be honest, quite lucrative. Mm-hmm. But for three or four or five years, I kept saying no to every possible request that came my way. I, I, I'm not a coach. I'm a speaker. I'm an author. I, I, I'm not a coach. Mm-hmm. And a couple of coaches who are high in my list of respect kept saying, you've got years of experience. You know a lot more than you think you know. They believed in me before I believed in myself. And it's gone so well that I'm not advertising. People just tell somebody else, you need Dr. Zimmerman, talk to him, talk to Dr. Zimmerman. So find people that believe in you Mm. before you believe in yourself. So true. Absolutely. And it starts in your mind, right? That's what kind of one thing that we've been talking about throughout this episode. Um, At some point, it it must have, as as much as those people believed in you, it still had to begin in, in your mind before you made it an action, right? I've always seen work as a blessing, not as a curse. And I've always had the position that if I agree to do something, I'll give it my very best. Uh, I've spoken on so many subjects that I knew nothing about. (laughs) But when they hire me to do it, I'll spend hundreds of hours by need to research that topic to be so competent and so effective. Because my attitude has been, 
they asked me because they believe in me, my integrity, my professionalism, my knowledge, my ability. If they believe in me, I can do it. Right. And so it's mindset. Yeah, if you wait until you feel you're totally ready for the next step, <laughs> you may not go very far. He is Dr. Alan Zimmerman. And doctor, if we have listeners here, which I'm sure we do, who have been touched by what you've said today, who something struck a chord and they go, huh, this guy's kind of got this figured out. Where can we hear more from you, potentially even get in touch with you or your team? And what are some of the resources that you have available to us? Yes, my website is very simple, drzimmerman.com. That's drzimmerman.com. You'll find over a 1,100 articles there that I have written. You'll find all my books, audio recordings. You'll find all kinds of webinars that I produce, that I deliver. You'll see my speaking schedule, places where I uh, am available to speak. And feel free to email me. I, I'm not one of those folks that is inaccessible. My email is alan, A-L-A-N, at drzimmerman.com. I get a lot of emails every day, and I personally respond to every single one within 48 hours. Alan at drzimmerman.com and drzimmerman.com is where you can learn more and certainly check out some of those talks that uh, Dr. Zimmerman has done and some of his 11,000 articles. Thank you again (laughs) so much for joining us today, doctor. We've learned so much from you and we're really grateful for your time. This has been cool and wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Could you use a little bit of a bonus? Yeah, we all can. It's John Gehring from John Gehring VoiceOvers, and I'm really excited to talk to you about a program that I got going on right now for you. And if you're into making money, it might be for you. It's a real simple referral bonus that I'm offering just to spread the word about how John Gehring VoiceOvers is doing audiobooks. I'm offering a $100 referral bonus. So if you know an author or you are an author yourself who wants to turn your book into an audiobook but don't know how and don't feel like you want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars or buy some crazy equipment that you really don't need, well, I might be the right partner for you. Let's have a conversation. And remember, if you're making a referral, it's a $100 bonus for you. So can't go wrong with that. JonathanGaring.com or John at JonathanGaring.com. I'll drop that down in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week at the Limitless Leadership Lounge. To listen to this episode again and to find previous episodes, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Spreaker. You can also get in on the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. Then tell three of your friends to join in as well. Coach, Renuma, and John will be back again next week for another tri-generational leadership discussion. We'll talk to you then on the Limitless Leadership Lounge.